nuclear proliferation, global pandemic, famine, environmental genocide, war. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point, where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the sirens of sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. Well, buddy, there you have it. A little something by the dead Kennedys. I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I know you don't mean to be disrespectful. I also know that Rob Clark does not mean to be disrespectful, but it catches your attention. It gets you thinking, hey, is that the dead Kennedys? The answer is yes, because we actually have our man on the scene, Rob Clark, back on the show this week to talk about the Kennedy assassination. I know you're excited. I know I'm excited. And uh, that segment will be coming up. Excited doesn't do it justice. I am on the edge of my seat, as everyone is here in the studio audience. There are a lot of people with copies of patents, of course, for Brad to sign. There are people who have full, all 26 volumes, Brad. I see a couple of young kids, all 26 volumes of the uh, Warren Commission report here for Rob Clark to sign. They look like encyclopedia salesmen in the 60s. Look at that kid. Look how excited he is. No, no, I mean, he's using it so that he can sit on it and see over the much taller adults in the studio audience. So it's dual purpose. I guess we should probably introduce ourselves. I'm Brad Sheaf. With me, as always, is my close friend and confidant, one David Michael Pridham. Uh, you can learn more about our program on our website, ipfrequently.com. Go follow us on the Instaface at IP underscore frequently. And again, don't forget to catch our show here each and every week. And again, the only news you need is right here. All of these people in the audience know it. Rob Clark knows it. The Dead Kennedys know it. No one needs to open a newspaper all week. That is our motto. No news, but our news. Right, Brad? That's correct. It's all you need. It's yep. a one-stop shop. We literally have 75 people right now staring back at us with fine uh, big pens, fine point big pens, ready to take down everything we talk about. Brad, why don't we dive right in? And then first of all, I do say thank you all for your comments on last week's Wheel of IP Frequently. It was a very good uh, time for us. Unfortunately, um, the uh, Wheel of IP Frequently has been banned at this point um, because of the whole Joe Rogan controversy. So we're back to just going through the uh, standard uh, script. Yeah. Well, which is fine. I mean, we wish Joe the best. Seems like he's attracted the attention of some octogenarians who are upset about him actually wanting to have a discourse on a topic. Apparently, if you're a 80 year old has been musician, you don't want to have a discussion. You just want your way or the highway. And that's fine. That is correct. Now, listen, two big news items of the week. We start there every week. 
because some people, quite frankly, in their audience uh, have very short attention spans, can't get through the whole program. Again, we will have Rob Clark coming up, but we want to start with the two big news items of the week that no small business owner can do without. You need to know about these items because they will impact your small business going forward. Right, Brad? Correct. Every time. Number one, uh, tragedy. Um, Brad, as you know, we are getting into the month of February. This is where we uh, sort of go through the ringer in terms of winter storms. Um, Tragedy struck in New Jersey this week. Milltown Mel, Brad, passed away, died unexpectedly, I should say. They're not sure if it's with COVID, due to COVID, or um, otherwise. Saw his shadow more often than not, which extends the winter. I know it's counterintuitive, but it does. He was five years old, and he is a veteran of the Groundhog Day experience. And the the other quote that came out of this is, uh, considering the average lifespan of a groundhog is about three years, this is is not such a shock. But Mel left, left us at a tough time of year when most of his fellow groundhogs are hibernating. So unfortunately, Brad, because the other groundhogs are hibernating, uh, there are no babies available to replace him until the spring. Uh, there will be no stand-in, and Milltown will not be having its Groundhog Day festivities this year. And I should say, we don't know if it's COVID. Again, we, we're going to be talking a little bit about the JFK assassination, and JFK impacted the world far less than Milltown Mel, and look what they did to him. No, I mean, you make a good point. I, you know, I mean, I, when you watch the Zabruder film, and we'll get to this, I don't want to get to it in, in too much detail, you would think that a bullet killed JFK, but it turns out if you go back and look at volume 24 of the Warren Commission, it was COVID. Now, the bullet you know, had something to do with it, of course, but it's just considered a comorbidity in this day and age, getting yeah. struck in the head uh, by a high piece, high speed piece of lead. It's just a comorbidity to the COVID, which he obviously had. Next, Brad, of course, the big um, Stormy Daniels um, Uh, Michael Avenatti trial is going on at this point. Again, Michael Avenatti, the creepy lawyer who ran for president briefly on the Democratic ticket and then eventually was sent to uh, jail by the feds for extortion, among other things. Uh, They're in the middle of uh, trying that case um, somewhere out there in uh, in this uh, in this country of ours. But the real news that came out of the trial this week was that Stormy Daniels, again, the porn star that uh, Um, transfixed America with her tales of former President Trump, has reinvented herself as a psychic, and she now travels the country accompanied by her doll, Susan, who's haunted by the spirit of the girl who died in the 1960s. Um, Brad, how do you think this is connected to the Kennedy assassination? Wait, wait, what? Uh Exactly. Okay. She's got a doll. So so Stormy Daniels, porn star. Now has a doll named Susan, who's named after what girl that died in the 60s? Just some girl, girl named Susan? A girl named Susan who died in the 60s. And she's pretty. You ever see the movie, the uh, the big, uh, the haunted movie with the doll, Annabelle? And now, you know me, buddy. I don't like horror this movies. Is, this is the same thing, only take Annabelle out. Yeah. Susan. 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 So yeah. this <laughs> woman, former actress, I guess yep. you would say, mm-hmm. uh, is traveling the country with a doll that she is openly and notoriously advertising as being possessed by a dead girl's spirit. That's mm-hmm. that's her shtick. That's what she's doing. Yes, that's correct. 
and th this is attracting crowds or just attracting people with arrest warrants? It's attracting a lot of if you do look put it this way, if you do a Venn diagram, Brad, between the people down there at Dealey Plaza right now mm -hmm. who are trying to figure out the whole JFK Jr. thing, which, again, we'll get to with Rob Clark mm -hmm. and the people that are going to these these shows, it's pretty much a full match. It's a circle on circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, again, I, I'm glad we do this podcast because I would never believe any of these things were I not seeing them on the teleprompter. Yeah, no, this is exactly right. And again, we're not making this up. This is something that you have to be prepared for. And if you are running a small business, you know, be on the lookout for this show and you may want to, um, you may want to, um, Take cover, I guess. Next, Brad, uh, your hero, AOC, uh, took to social media uh, recently saying that basically she has to take a break uh, from social media because of mean tweets. Uh, she said that, um, you know, she is going to be off the Twitter, off the Instaface, off of the YouTube, all of it for a while because she is emotionally impacted and been damaged um, by some of the responses she got when she was parading around Miami without a mask on and getting COVID. Um, what do you think, Brad? Do you think it's appropriate? Do you think the world's going to miss her presence on the social media stage? And what should a small business owner do to make up for the time they would otherwise be using to read her tweets? Well, I mean, buddy, that's easy. You can do your payroll, right? I mean, just sit down, do your payroll. You'll be glad you did. You've got this time off from reading... But I, this is, you know, a little embarrassing for someone of, of my public persona. Remind me what her name is. I, she's always called AOC. And and once you said that, I was trying to remember what her actual name. I can't. I don't know. Well, listen, you're you're triggering me right now. OK, I'm just <laughs> going to say that for the record. It's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez. That's right. Thank you. Yes. OK, thank you. So she is. I, she's just reprehensible, right? I mean, I don't care what your politics are, because I don't know that she has politics, right? I mean, the last time I paid any attention to anything she said, it was stupid, mm. right? I'm not, not saying politically stupid, just stupid. It was a bunch of bl blather and useless double talk and not saying anything. So I don't care what your politics are. And, and if you happen to be, you know, of a very liberal bent and you like her, that's fine, right? Good for you. You're you're entitled to, you know, enjoy being around, uh, you know, virtually or otherwise, anybody you like, but she is reprehensible because she's happy to sling some very pointed barbs outbound. But when there's some incoming, all of a sudden that's too much for her and she's got to duck and cover. And I just have no time for anyone like that. If you don't want to have people say mean things about you, that's fine. I get that. I don't like people saying mean things about me, but I don't, as a general rule, start rolling out tweets and then when somebody has something to say in response, duck and cover. I mean, just don't do it at all. Yeah, I mean, look, she was obviously triggered. And you can see why. She's um, emotionally vulnerable, right? And, uh, and, and look, that um, you know, people maybe do want to, maybe they should just give her a break. You know, just take a step back, give her, give her a little room so she can continue on her vandalism tour where she continues to vandalize the United States of America. But great, great gal, great gal. Uh, next, Brad, in uh, Minnesota recently, a gentleman was arrested after killing his um, roommates for emotional support ferrets. OK, and uh, and when he was asked by the police about it, he said the reason he killed them is they smelled like 
poop, but not that word. Um, Levi Arneberg, who I believe is one of the people at the um, has been down at the QAnon um, uh, 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 rallies. I guess you can call them rallies uh, down at uh, um, Dealey Plaza has been accused of fatally shooting these ferrets. Again, they're emotional support ferrets with a BB gun. He dumped the remains in an alley outside of his Duluth, Minnesota apartment. Um, and I guess there were other disputes. I mean, you know, as you know, Brad, ferrets are gorgeous, just gorgeous creatures. Yeah, very svelte. When uh, confronted by the police, Annenberg, Arnenberg admitted to killing the ferrets and told the police uh, that one of the ferrets was, quote, laughing at him before he shot it in the head. Um, he said, quote, dude, I killed the ferrets. Give me a break. They smelled like poop according to court documents. So there it is, Brad. I mean, I guess, you know, one of the questions is how much can a man be expected to take when you look at the tale of Levi Arnberg? Exactly. Ferrets are crafty. They are fleet of foot. And this guy not only shot one, but four and one while that ferret was laughing at him, which is going to, you know, you're going to make adjustments to your sight picture if you're going to hit a laughing ferret. So I think that, you know, while Levi has probably got a little bit of debt to society to pay there, I think it's probably, you know, something he will be happy to do, being able for the rest of his life to say, hey, I shot four ferrets. I shot the ferret, but I didn't shoot the deputy. Well, there you go, buddy. That's, that's well done. That's Bob Marley-esque. Are you ready, Brad, to get to our good friend, Rob Clark and learn more about the JFK assassination. I have never been more ready. And remember, this is part of a new, this is part of a new segment, right? Where we, you and I um, go to some of the most hallowed unsolved mysteries in world history and solve them, right? We don't just talk about them. We solve them, right? We're working on the you're so vain Carly Simon thing. We'll get to that. Um, But first we're going to do the JFK thing. We're going to go through all of them. Brad, we're going to go through the Loch Ness Monster, the Yeti, the Bigfoot, Brad, the Abominable Snowman, um, Boba Fett, all of them, all of them, Brad. Leprechauns. I mean, again, you can't swing a stick without hitting a leprechaun. They're all over the place. But you never find the pot of gold. That is absurd, right? I mean, who needs the leprechauns if you're not going to find the pot of gold? I want to get to the bottom of that. I'm looking forward to the whole thing. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. So let's get right to it. All right. So we're joined by Rob Clark of the Lone Gunman podcast. Rob uh, has joined us in the past. And uh, Rob, it's good to see you again. It's good to be back, fellas. Thanks for having me back. It's been almost a year exactly, right? It's been about a year. And I'll tell you what, what precipitated us uh, having you back on is obviously the big Oliver Stone documentary on Showtime, the 30th year. Uh, anniversary of JFK, but more important than that, Brad, I don't know if you know this, but Brad was in the FBI and um, spent some time in the FBI doing all sorts of things. I don't think he was at Dealey Plaza, but we're not sure. Um, But um, Brad and I sat down over the holidays with a couple of bottles of nice Chianti and watched that Oliver Stone documentary. And Brad sat there in amazement at everything from the magic bullet to the grassy knoll and couldn't believe it 
uh, couldn't believe any of it. And I couldn't believe that Brad had never heard any of this stuff before. So what we're trying to do today is maybe educate Brad a little bit more and then get to the bottom of this whole thing. Sounds good. The biggest thing for me, and again, I, I had no previous background other than, you know, American history classes, knowing who JFK right. was and what happened to him. But they show this bullet that supposedly, if I'm understanding, you know, what I was hearing and watching correctly, went through Kennedy, you know, kind of just below the osprey bone in the back of his head, kind of through his neck. So entrance, exit, goes through the governor's shoulder and then through his wrist, hitting bones in both places and then exits his wrist and winds up in his leg. And I, so I, you know, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay, well, I mean, I, you know, that's, it, I guess it's plausible that one bullet could have done that. Ballistics is, is an odd science. And, and then they show the bullet and that bullet hasn't hit a thing. Right. I, I mean, even yeah. a bullet fired into a gelatin block, you know, is malformed, right? I mean, that, that the bullet right. they show and say, well, this is the bullet that went in and out of Kennedy and then, you know, apparently three times in and out of the governor. The, here it is. That bullet has not hit a thing. Yeah, and that's that's part of the reason that many, many moons ago, people started looking into this. You know, when they saw finally saw that bullet, it's like, you know, if you're a hunter or, you know, you're a former FBI agent, you've shot a gun, you know what bullets do to people, you know what they look like after you shoot them. Like you said, that bullet didn't hit anything. <laughs> it, it might not even have been fired. And, you know, come to find out, you know, when they're talking about the, the weight of the grains of the bullet, I think they took more out of Connolly than would have even made it a full, complete bullet. I mean, it is malformed a little bit. It is flattened on one side a little bit, but it should be mushroomed 20 ways to Sunday if that's if what happened to the wounds in President Kennedy and, and Connolly uh, were attributed to that bullet is the way it would have looked like. So, yeah, that's the magic bullet, not only that's, from the from the one bullet to seven wounds, but, yeah, coming out looking pristine. Well, it's crazy. And that and that's one of the things that, you know, got Brad's attention. I mean, I always keep coming back to, you know, could Oswald have done all this shooting by himself? And I think the answer is no. Right. Because when you start looking at the you know, even with the magic bullet, you've got one bullet um, that hit some guy near the underpass. You've got, um, you know, some other uh, bullet that, uh, you know, that that the one that went through Kennedy's neck, then you've got the headshot. But then when you listen to those ballistic, uh, the ballistic evidence and you, you listen to those tapes from the um, the police officers nearby, you hear at least four and maybe as many as six shots and there's no way Oswald fired more than three out of that rifle from the, the building, right? I mean, I, if I understand that correctly. Yeah, three spent shells were found on the sixth floor of the school book depository. Um, so, yeah, they had to attribute, attribute three shots from Oswald. And, and you mentioned the one that supposedly hit a bystander or scratched his face. Um, but it was a... It, a piece of something. They don't know if it was a bullet, a piece of the curb, a piece of metal from uh, the surrounding area of the windshield or a bone fragment. It could have been anything that scratched this guy's face, but 
Yeah, they did attribute it to uh, a miss. Yeah, and so, and that's one where you even see, if you look at the Zapruder film, you you see Kennedy turn, right? That was the first shot that he missed. Right. Yeah, which is bizarre even, too. It, it, even Connolly always believed that he was never hit by the same bullet that was, uh, that hit JFK. He never, he never believed that. But you would always think that the first shot would be the best shot anyway, right? Because he's got all this time to prepare. He doesn't have to worry about reloading. And he, he, the first one should be the cleanest. And that's the worst. And he missed the car entirely. Right. And, you know, and like you said, uh, the HSCA, which is the House Select Committee on Assassinations in the 70s, based on the acoustic evidence, they found evidence of four shots. And one of them coming from the Grassy Knoll area. Um, and of course, this was later tried to be debunked by several experts, in quotes. Um, but recently, I don't know if you all have ever heard of the book uh, Six Seconds in Dallas by Josiah Thompson. And this was this book was released back in 1967 or 68. And he tried to analyze, you know, the shot sequence uh, in Dealey Plaza. And recently, this past year, he released a follow-up book called Last Second in Dallas. And I happened to get to talk to this guy when I was at the JFK conference in, in Dallas in 2019. And, you know, sit down and have a beer with a guy. And he's telling me, look, you know, I got it wrong 50 years ago. He's like, this time around, I got it right. And he goes back and he reanalyzes the acoustic evidence um, and comes to find out that it was accurate. You know, there were four shots. One did come from the grassy knoll. And this is all, you know, up-to-date scientific, you know, evidence. And also, I mean, we're speaking about Oliver Stone's documentary, but a really great one that's on YouTube for free. It's called JFK Unsolved, and it tells the whole story of Josiah Thompson and his acoustical evidence and his findings. So I highly recommend that. Yeah, it's interesting because when you listen to those, when you, when you sync those um, audio recordings with the Zapruder film, it lines up and you can, you can sort of hear the shots and you can see the miss and you, and the other two shots, you know, they, they you can sort of see two separate shots come in um, from different directions. I mean, I, that, that's the other question is, is, and this is something, Brad, I think, you know, you've got experience in the, in the, I mean, you know, you've, you've seen this firsthand, the direction of the head and the debris stream, what does that tell us about where the bullet's coming? Because in this case, you know, the famous Kevin Costner thing from the film back into the left, but also when you look at the debris um, and Brad, you and I have talked about this, all of the debris from that kill shot on Kennedy um, hit the two troopers who were on the motorcycles to his to his left, or a lot of the debris did, and then the, the rear car. Um, none of it, or, or hardly any of it, hit the front windshield, right? Which you would think, I would think, as a layman, if the if the bullet, if the kill shot's coming from behind, it's going to go, the head's going to go forward, and the the debris is going to go forward. Here, the debris seemed to be consistent with a shot coming from the front right, you know, hitting Kennedy, and then the debris going back and hitting the two. Um, motorcycle policeman on the left-hand side of the car. Um, I mean, what, what do you, what do y'all think about that? Is that, what does that tell us? Well, you know, if you're watching this Zapruder film and you have a really good copy of it and you pause it at the instant of the headshot, you know, it, it looks like that bullet just cleaved 
the whole side of Kennedy's head, like there's a whole big giant flap that's hanging down, that's discolored. And, you know, from the official, in quote, autopsy photos, you know, we don't see anything like this, like this injury in the Zapruder film. And they've tried to explain it away using the, the jet effect, if you will, you know, um, that where the, you know, a lot of the power from the shot is reversed inside the cranium and, and sent back out the entrance, um, thus causing him to fly backwards, even though he was shot from the rear. But for everything I've ever seen um, and all of the tests that they've done on dummies and everything else, uh, back into the left generally means a shot from the front right. Yeah, I mean, my experience, Robin, and again, you know, for better or for worse, my experience is, you know, as a combat medic, I was in the field quite a bit. I've, I've again, for better or for worse, been around folks that have been shot. And, but I'm no ballistics guy, right? I mean, I'm no scientist. I haven't, you know, studied that. But generally speaking, you do have with, with, you know, high power rifle rounds, you know, for, for folks that, you know, some, I guess, you know, don't spend a lot of time thinking about this. It can sometimes be counterintuitive because pistol bullets are much larger as a general rule than rifle bullets, you know, much heavier, um, but they move much less quickly, right? And so what gives you, you know, force is mass times velocity squared, right? So if you square velocity, you, you know, you get a lot more oomph out of your round than you would by increasing the mass. And so even though rifle rounds tend to be much smaller, much lighter, they're going much, much faster. And so you've got much more energy there. And so you do get this temporary cavity when when something is struck by a high power rifle round, you know, things expand temporarily and then they contract, right? And so you can be fooled as a medic into looking at a wound and thinking, well, this doesn't look too bad not having realized that all of the tissue in the area was, you know, at, at, a, at an instant, much more badly damaged, much stretched out over a much broader range, and then contracts back into a more confined space. Right? So I guess I could see where, you know, depending on, and I'm not an expert on the film, but what you're looking at, you know, maybe it expands and contracts a little bit. But, but my experience has been that exit wounds are much more devastating than entrance wounds, right? I mean, Dave and I were talking about this, right. and you know, again, I've been in the unfortunate position of walking up on someone and and looking, at, you know, from the entrance side and saying, okay, you know, I, I might have a shot at managing this, and then you roll them over, and and you know, that becomes much more challenging, right? I mean, the exit wound is is devastating. Yeah, I think they had you know twenty six separate witnesses, including doctors at Parkland, and even Clint Hill, you know, the Secret Service agent that jumped on the back of the car said that there was a huge gaping wound in the back of Kennedy's head. Um, and there was a lot of brain matter missing. Um, and again, if he was shot from the rear, the exit wound is going to be much worse than the entrance wound. So, and there's really no entrance or exit wound towards the front of Kennedy's skull. I mean, we've all seen the autopsy pictures. I mean, his face is perfect. You know, you put all this stuff together and it kind of points to a shot from the the front. Do you think that Oswald was was one of the shooters? I don't know. No. I think that Oswald was on the first floor of the lunchroom or in the lunchroom on the first floor of the building. Um, you know, when when they went in there, um, there was an affidavit from the uh, police officer that went in the building who said that he ran into him on the first floor. And there's there's, you know, 
of course, there's an image called Prayer Man. If you if you search that with JFK, it'll show you an image caught on film in two different films, actually, of a figure that hasn't been accounted for by anybody uh, standing just outside of the glass doors of the school book depository right after the shots. Mm-hmm. You know, where did it start? Where does it end? And will we ever know? I mean, that that's those are the questions that you always come back to with the JFK thing. Yeah, well, you have, I mean, you have clear indication that when Lee Oswald in the summer of 1963, before the assassination, when he was in New Orleans, um, there's a lot implicating the fact that he was an FBI informant for Warren DeBreez in New Orleans. And then, so, you know, the FBI would definitely not want to be associated with this guy. <laughs> and, and they were supposed to be watching him. They had different FBI agents checking on him and his wife. You know, his wife more than him, they were worried about because, you know, she's a Russian, you know, and she married a defector and came back here. So they were always worried that people like that were spies. So they did have the FBI checking on him every so often. And for this guy to slip through the fingers, so to speak, would have been an egg, egg on the FBI's face at that point. And, you know, if Oswald had any CIA connections, you know, associated with his defection, which is a little sketchy, um, then, of course, they wouldn't want to be tied back to him either or any of the nefarious things that they were doing uncovered, you know, when it comes to uh, uh, Cuba. So they had a lot to protect. Yeah, I mean, to me, Rob, I've always said I worked for the government between the military and the FBI for almost two dozen years. And I I, I just I always laugh at government conspiracies because they can a, a, a well-crafted conspiracy that is not you know, as David says, going to be, you know, quickly unwound by someone running their mouth requires a great degree of competence and discipline. And if there are two things that the United States government lacked in 1963 and continues to lack today, it's competence and discipline. I just don't think it was a government conspiracy, right? Because the government says stupid things like the Zabruder film has no evidentiary value. I mean, you may not want to have to talk about it, but you can say something smarter than that. Well, that Rob, uh, I think we're running out of time here, but we want to give you a minute to talk about your great podcast, the lone gunman podcast and anything else you're, you're working on these days. Still doing the lone gunman. I'm also doing a, another podcast called quick hits uh, with my buddy, Doug Campbell, who also hosts a Kennedy assassination podcast called the Dallas action. And, uh, you know, I would leave you with this. Uh, as you said, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in Oliver Stone's new documentary, um, but there's also a little fluff and, and uh, unsustainable, uh, quote, facts that he likes to throw out. Um, but that's just my personal feelings on it. Listen, Brad and I, Brad and I are based down here in Dallas. So if we ever get down here, uh, you know, hit us up. We'll go down to Dealey Plaza together. We've sent Jared out there recently as part of the QAnon thing to interview some people who are waiting for JFK Jr. to come back. So, you know, let us know and we'll, uh, we'll all go down there together. I guess he never came back, did he? Not yet, but we hold that hope. Rob, thanks again for your time. We appreciate it as always. Uh, and we have to jump into the woke report for the week. We've got a number of items um, uh, to talk about. First, the ongoing saga of UPenn swimming, University of Pennsylvania. Um, Apparently, there is a move afoot 
to ban the um, the uh, swimmer Leah Thomas from competing in the upcoming NCAA tournament, uh, the championships. Um, and uh, the University of Pennsylvania is looking to go get injunctive relief, Brad, uh, where a court would step in and say, yes, that young man can swim in this meet. Um, so what do you think about that, Brad? Do you think the University of Pennsylvania should be fighting for this? Is this the hill to die on? Or do you think that uh, maybe they should focus on other things? Well, I don't think it's surprising. I mean, no one listening to this podcast is surprised by that. But here's the thing. I, I mean, at some point in time, we just lost we just lost it like as, as a country as a representative democracy right i i remember you remember we're both of comparable age although before you say it i will say i am two years older that you know the whole idea behind the democracy was that the majority would rule right now that doesn't give you the right to just ride roughshod over those not in the majority right everybody agrees with that that was always the deal but you 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 played to the majority, right? You said, who wants to do this or not do that or whatever, whatever the case may be. And you campaign about something, you lay your case out, and then you let people make a decision, right? So I think the first question we got to ask ourselves is how many people are standing in opposition to this person swimming, right? And, and my understanding is that there's quite a number of actual female swimmers who are saying, hey, you know, no, no knock on Leia. God bless her. She can do what she wants, but this is not a fair athletic competition. And that's what this is supposed to be, right? This is supposed to be an athletic competition. And so my first question would be, why does one person's desire to do something outweigh the desires of many more than one person's desire to do something different, right? And I guess maybe the answer is, well, we're, you know, people who have made this life choice get the benefit of the doubt. We have to support them no matter what they want, but that has a large number of consequences that I hope the University of Pennsylvania is prepared for in its fully woke stampede to the courthouse in order to be able to, you know, support this one swimmer over many more than one, I don't have the exact number, but many more than one other UPenn swimmers, right? Yes. So the only difference between Leia and all of the other UPenn, because they're all UPenn swimmers, is that Leia has made a life choice that people, I guess, now feel trumps everyone else's life choice. And that's just not how we do it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I, a couple things. I think one, um, you, you, have you ever seen the movie The Wrath of Khan with Ricardo Montalban? Uh, of course I Bill have. You know this. You know so this. as part of that film, part of that film, the, you know, the, the, um, the, the Spock character, Brad, played by Leonard Nimoy, who you probably know better as the director of Three Men and a Baby. Um, Spock says the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah, he does say that. Okay, he does. In this case, it's the opposite. It's the needs of the few or the one outweigh the needs of the many. And you have to ask yourself why? Why? Why does UPenn believe, or anyone else who wants to get behind UPenn here? Why is their belief that this person's needs, frankly, outweigh any other single person's needs? Right. I mean, even if there was only one other person saying, "Wait a minute, that's not the way I want to do it." Why would what where 
how does UPenn decide, well, this is the student and swimmer that we're going to get behind? And I think the I mean, obvious probably answer she's is winning the races, Brad. I mean, she's she's the Brock Lesnar of he the Brock Lesnar of swimming. Only without the, the body slam and the, the transformation. Well, there could be, I mean, there could be you know slams in, in swimming, I, I suppose. Belly well, listen, at least. It, it seems like we're getting confused, right? It seems like a lot of this stuff is confusing. I, you know, segue, segue to the next part of the woke report. Apple this week released its new pregnant man emoji. And I know you've seen this, Brad. You've used it um, probably on a number of occasions. It's, it's confusing to me because I don't think in the history of time there has ever been a pregnant man. Um, but Apple has now come out with, with a clear pregnant man emoji. Well, they better stand by because people are going to do hilarious things with this pregnant man emoji. I, I realize this came out of, you know, some companies have skunk works. Apple obviously has a woke works. I realize this came out of their woke works. There's probably three people that not, none of which you and I could possibly be in a room with for more than 30 seconds that are in the woke works. And, you know, they probably slaved over this for hours. God bless them. I, I, you know, Apple can put out as many emojis as they want. I typically don't use them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, my question would be, is, is this of all the things people might want to express in a small picture, this is the one that we really need. Uh, well, Brad, I don't know if we really need it, but we've got it. And I'm sure it's something you'll be using as you, uh, tweet away or Twitter away. Um, following up on that, more things we potentially don't need. Disney this week has ditched uh, Minnie Mouse, you know, Minnie Mouse, the big uh, superstar mouse. Yeah, sure. Apparently, uh, Minnie Mouse um, is ditching her iconic red polka dot dress. And Disney is transitioning her to a progressive blue sustainable pantsuit designed by Stella McCartney. Um, in line with what was worn by Hillary Clinton in her presidential campaign. Um, Brad, do you think this is a direction that Disney should go in, or do you think they're just bowing to the woke mob? I think it's both. I think this is exactly what Disney should be doing, because that's who Disney has become. So be yourself. They're clearly bowing to the woke mob. And ask yourself, Walt, or whoever is running Disney at this point, how'd that work out? for Hillary Clinton. How did the pants suit look work for Hillary Clinton? Brad, next, uh, you know, everyone out there knows we are all about the environment. Uh, you and I are constantly looking at asteroids to see what's going to collide in the earth. Comets too, Brad. Comets too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, planets, life on other planets, uh, the planet Venus, sustainability on the planet Venus pantsuits, Brad. Um, well, now apparently scientists have uh, found a, uh, a, a problem closer to home, a danger. They found a killer lake in Africa that could erupt. Uh, it could release poisonous, a, a gaseous cloud, like a brain cloud that could kill millions of people and some animals too, Brad. Um, so they are concerned this lake is Lake Kivu, obviously located between Rwanda and the Republic of Congo. It is a rift lake, a rift lake. And it's, uh, it, it's formed right uh, over the, um, continental crust. And obviously, Africa, it's very, very volatile, Brad, very volatile. Um, the concern is that there could be some uh, movement in the lake that could lead to this gaseous cloud. Um, it's called a limnic eruption, 
which would result in large waves in a poisonous gas cloud uh, emerging over Mount Nuriaganapo. And um, obviously, Brad, Lake Kivu is a uh, vacation spot. It's a place where I think you and I have taken the families. Um, uh, what do you think about this? Do you think this is something we have to address? Do you think we potentially don't want to be going there for holiday this year? Um, what, what are your thoughts? At this point, I would stay away from Lake Kivu until we can get this whole thing figured out. Let's see. Next, Brad, COVID corner. Uh, obviously, the COVID-19 uh, outbreak, the Omicron is going across the globe. Um, and uh, it seems like a lot of people are reacting in different ways. In the great country to our north, Canada, uh, there is a freedom convoy of thousands and thousands of uh, truckers who are um, rolling uh, through the capital of Ottawa, and um, uh, they are basically protesting Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, vaccine mandate. Um, the prime minister obviously has to isolate with COVID. He has been known to wear blackface on a number of occasions. And uh, now he has been forced into hiding out of fear that these truckers are potentially um, going to do some harm to him. Uh, what do you think about that? That seems like a far more reasonable fear than the fear of COVID at this point, if you're yeah. Trudeau. I mean, look, that's it. I think he's 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 scared. It seems like this is more of a... Uh, a friendly protest. They are blocking the streets of Ottawa, but um, look, these people are kind of ticked off um, and uh, they seem to have every right to be. No, they sound like it. They sound like perturbed Canadians, which is often an oxymoron, but in this case doesn't seem to be. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of countries who, if they had Trudeau as their head of government would be taking a step in the right direction so I could see where even the, you know, even keeled, even handed, barely perturbable Canadians would finally come to a point where they said, no, yeah. you know, no more of blackface guy. Let's get rid of him. And when asked about this, Trudeau said that most of the truckers are um, who are, again, blocking the streets of Ottawa um, are either misogynist or racist or both or both. Um, but he he likes to liken the uh, the uh, sort of draw a link between the protesters and misogyny and racism, I guess. Not Did, sure why. Uh, anyone stopped to ask Mr. Trudeau upon what he based that, you know, obviously libelous statement? No, I mean, I saw a lot of Canadian flags, the old maple leaf yeah. flying on those trucks. And it seems like. A lot of these people are just uh, people who are protesting his his vaccine mandates because they don't like them, uh, because they thought they were part of a free country. Um, but it's tough to see. Uh, I haven't seen many uh, Confederate flags or swastikas or, God forbid, Trump signs. Well, I mean, you know that you're uh, you're you're far from a successful limbic eruption as a politician if when someone protests an action you have unilaterally taken which again we don't typically smile upon in a democracy and someone takes umbrage to that unilateral action which is limiting their rights you turn around and just start hurling baseless pejoratives you're a misogynist you're a racist that you probably yeah you just don't have a lot of ground to stand on the truckers yeah. are looking for it, Brad. I mean, he, he did give a speech. Well, it's more like a statement. He, he came out of his house 
and give a, a statement. Not in sort of like Milltown Mel, but uh, obviously prior to this year. Yeah, and and unlike Milltown Mel, unfortunately Trudeau will be seeing his shadow at some point, potentially. Yeah, yeah. potentially. You never know. No, you don't. Next, Brad. Um, the the latest in U.S. Uh, discretionary care um, in, in light of COVID. A uh, there, there, there's this case that's out this week where a, a number of uh, um, people are up in arms because a Boston hospital has removed a father of two, 31 years old, who was at the been waiting for his heart transplant for some time. Uh, they've removed him from the heart transplant list because he's not vaccinated. Um, and so this has obviously caused quite a stir, but he's completely off the list now. He's probably um, not going to not going to make it because of that. Uh, he's looking into other other options. But uh, it seems like there are a lot of uh, judgments being made based on this uh, this vaccine. I mean, this is a this is a tough one with someone with that condition and with some of the uncertainty around the uh, around the vaccine. But boy, that's a harsh penalty to give someone who uh, who has been waiting on that list and who's so young. Well, but I mean, obviously, when you first hear it, you just you, you can do nothing more than shake your head and just wonder at, you know, how the folks who just arbitrarily pull him off that list sleep at night. And there probably are some limiting factors, right, where, hey, if you know, if you have this behavior or that behavior, if you're an illicit drug user, if you're an alcoholic, right, because, again, you don't want to be the arbiter of arbitrarily of who lives and who dies. But you certainly don't want someone who is, you know, behind a, you know, a an active alcoholic or active illicit drug user, um, not getting a heart that could take them for the next 40 years because you're putting a heart in this person who is then, you know, going to live another six months and be in the same situation. So, I mean, I get all the ramifications of that. But unless that list that those standards to be on that list previously included a number of vaccinations, right? Where they, someone has a leg to stand on and say, well, wait a minute, you know, this has kind of always been the way it is. You had to be vaccinated for this or for that in order to be able to be on this list. If they, if the people managing this just arbitrarily said, hey, we have decided that if you're not vaccinated for COVID, you cannot be on a, you know, an, an organ list, heart or otherwise. We're just going to say that Without, there's no way there's been a study done at this point, right? So there is absolutely no way that there is a you know typical double-blind scientific study that's been done. So they are doing this arbitrarily, and I imagine you know not only would it be tough to sleep at night, but you're going to get, I mean, you're just going to get your clock cleaned in court by the family of anyone who doesn't get the transplant they need and dies, and you should. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, they, they, this is just an example of very, I mean, draconian measures being taken in a time where the science seems to me to be uh, at best, you know, unsettled. So um, we'll continue to monitor that. And uh, obviously, we've covered a lot here today. We figured out the whole JFK thing. We've talked about a dead, um, by natural causes, as far as we know, groundhog and some uh, dead ferrets. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of death in today's show, but I think there's also been a lot of light, a, a lot of uplifting, you know, rock turning over and discoveries made. And we'll just continue that next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies 
with the machete of truth. You're welcome.